Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply. It's time to cast off on a new adventure. This is Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Good morning and welcome to Real Adventures from wherever you are listening right around the country. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood joining you this morning to talk all things fishing, boating and the great outdoors. Good morning, Redmond. Good morning, Patrick. How are you? Uh, excellent this morning. Now, we've had a good week on the fish. You and I, we uh, we headed out last Saturday, I think it was, uh, out in the big boat again, FTBT, or for those playing at home, uh, full-time, big-time. That's what... That's, uh, official, that's the official announcement. Yeah, that's the official announcement of the official name of the official Real Adventures boat. <laughs> so uh, if you've got any feedback around the name, uh, unless it's positive, please keep it to yourself. Uh, but we headed out on the, uh, the tuna, Aaron, that everyone keeps talking about and all the excitement. There's some great tuna at the moment being caught right up and down the eastern seaboard of Australia, South Australia. Victor Harbour in particular is seeing some wonderful uh, captures of southern bluefin tuna. But we headed out via Port Phillip Bay through Port Phillip Heads. And it's safe to say, Redmond, the waves and weather heading out through the the entrance of Port Phillip Bay – it was a little hairy. It was nice on the way out, but coming in with that really big ebb tide uh, on that lead up to that new moon, and we're always talking about following our tides and whatnot, Pat. And as we started to head out, uh, head back in, as we got closer, we could see the, the – because it was actually a bit, a bit of southerly, pretty much straight southerly. I was, we, we had it ease up on us. It was probably around that sort of 12 to 15 knots for us. It was actually nice out there. But it had blown harder in the morning, so we had that pressure wave really pushing against that tide underneath. And you were driving, and we got closer. And I, normally, I'm just like, go for it. But as we got closer, I really had to cut that corner. And if you're not familiar with cutting the corner in the Port Bay Heads, it's uh, I get pretty shallow. You're covering against Yellowtail Rock and Lonsdale Rock. You're getting in between there. And I'll, I'll, fill, I'll fill it in for you if you like, Aaron. <laughs> there are there are rocks that will sink your boat to your left as you're coming in. And there are waves <laughs> that will flood your boat and sink you to your right. So there's not a huge margin for error if you want to play it safe. Yeah, it's a prick of a place at times. It's pretty <laughs> like it's bloody dangerous. If you haven't if you haven't spent a huge amount of time fishing outside in open water via the Port Phillip Bay entrance, you, you do need to spend time with those that are experienced because when the weather does kick up. And we we went out already knowing that it was pretty pretty hairy, but if it does kick up during the day and then you're on your way back, you need to know what you're doing because if you just went straight back, smack bang through the guts of it, it would be horrific. And you, there's every chance you can capsize your boat with the with the swell that was running through there. And as you said, because it kicks up so much, 
um, depending on the winds that you're dealing with, it can be pretty dangerous. And it's about also the uh, times, I guess, of, a, of the month you go. So, like, it's um, it, when you're pushing up to a moon, say, for example, a full, a full moon when you've got those smaller tides and you, you can time your run a little bit longer if you are learning to cross it with tide. So what I mean by that is we always – the recommended time to come in and out of the heads that majority of people that are learning aim for is the slack water period. So it's actually the streaming water. So it's actually three hours difference to when high tide and low tide is. We won't get into that because we'll confuse people. But if you are looking for it, on BOM, there's a there's on the, on bomb.gov.au, you can actually search the rip in itself. It will give you slack water. Another good one is South Channel Pyolite. That will give you within 10, sort of 15 minutes of it. But people time that their run. Uh, and the problem is if you do time your run for that slack water period, it, it can work against you. So what I mean by that in that aspect is – if you head out, say, Pat, you and I headed out at 7 a.m., we aim for slack. We aim to come in just after lunch on the next slack because the tides run six hourly and the streaming water runs six hourly. So if you aim to come back in, but what happens if you get a hook in your in your hand or what happens if you get a call that uh, George has fallen over at kindergarten and broken his arm and you need to get in? Or if, like, if something's happened where you need to get in? Or what about if you hook that barrel? It takes you an extra two and a half hours to get in. Get in. It's going to be nighttime, and you've got to get in before, and you've got to push in in a big ebb tide. So I'm not. I'm. I, I, I recommend aiming for the slacks if possible if you are learning and whatnot. Uh, when you've got massive tides, when you're coming off the moon, look at your tide tide sizes. And this this isn't just for uh, the rip pad. This is for anywhere that you're actually uh, traveling in the world. Realistically, for bars and crossings. So if you're heading out of the Naruma Bar, that poor as you're watching in videos all the time on social media, that pouring outgoing tide where it meets the ocean and the ocean's actually coming in, that's when it tends to be like at its most dangerous. So timing your tides is crucial right around the whole the whole world, Australia, and we're talking about the heads at the minute, but you gotta learn it. And there's if you do learn it like sort of what well, I have over the years, I learned off some very experienced people. I've been going in and out of there for a long time. And in saying that last year, you and I had a pretty darn crap conversation on this show about how I nearly went ass up. So and I was, <laughs> I was pushing my boundaries. So it does happen to the experience. And I copped to, I was honest about it. And the reason I was honest about it on social was just to get it across that I was always going to have the, the idiots that comment and say, oh, the guru nearly killed himself, blah, blah, blah. And people hang shit on me. That's always going to happen. But I couldn't care less about that. If I save 20 other people's lives by going, hold on, if Red's nearly been caught out, let's think yep. twice. It is a dangerous water. Yep. Yeah, it's a dangerous bit of water. So, But the fishing was hot pack. It was Redmond, and uh, as you said, we headed out in the morning. We had the banger teaser bars out the back. We were running three, so we, we had them uh, placed strategically. So they were far enough apart in terms of the depth and how far they were out. So I think we were sort of 30, maybe 20, 20 metres, 40, and a little bit further, um, that when we turn and you could turn at speed and, and yeah. chase the fish, that we were never in any risk of, of tangling. That's clearly one of the risks you run if you run them evenly and then you're chasing fish well you're every chance to um to tangle so that's one of the things that you have you you're really particular with the way that you set it up redmond yeah but one of the things that boats struggle with when we were out there is yes they were sounding up the fish but then they couldn't get them to to go couldn't get them to bite and slack water is one thing but we were also running soft plastics and really working them hard almost at the boat and they were well within 10 meters of the boat working that that water column hard and that's where we had some of our best success 
And it was about communication. So I wasn't wasting your time by putting those soft plastics in the water because what I mean by that, I don't want you to be standing at the side of the boat just working these soft plastics the whole time. Like it's pain, pain in the backside. Not only that, you'll get lazy. Like you just won't naturally do it. In saying that, Gibbsy had it out for about 30 minutes and jagged one randomly. So we'll give him that. But we had, you, you've got to make sure that you're communicating. So what I'm doing is when I'm seeing the fish actively feeding, uh, on, with, we had the mutton birds, I'd say, I'd literally say, right, I get ready, get ready, drop your plastics in. And as soon as I start to mark them on the sounder, or if I'm working a patch where I'm pulling fish from either side of me, so I was trying to aim for the front of the birds to get in front of those fish so they track behind the back of the boat. And as soon as I marked one or two, I'd say, righto, now's the time to start working them. And it was very, very productive. Those soft plastics were better than the teaser bars. In the end, we just pulled the teaser. I think we just ran one or two in the end or something. Yeah, yeah. just, just to get them up. And then yeah. um, after that, it was, well, it was all soft plastics. Yeah, well, we call it, we, like, we're only out. We had, oh, we'll be honest, I, I got pretty frustrated probably the first hour and a half and i think it was a tide that really screwed us we had we'll lead up to that moon that i told you about that new moon and we're on that slack water and well, slack water on the flood tide so the flood tide the incoming tide was already a really bad tide where i knew once that outgoing started to pull that's when they were going to feed because yeah. i spoke to chris o from gone fishing charters was out there crossy was out there everyone got fish early and then they went dead it just yeah. died and we got out there probably an hour and a half before that and i said I said to you boys, well, well, the slack's here, it makes sense. Let's, and as soon as that tide ran, we got into it, and that's when we started catching fish. Let's take a look what's biting around your state and your part of Australia, and this, of course, includes, and we'll start off with New South Wales and our New South Wales fishing wrap for the New South Wales Maritime. Look after your life jacket, and it will look after you. Don't risk your life. And the snapper are going well at Monty Island at the moment, Aaron. Yeah, they are. First light's been the key to success, and I'm really looking forward to the kingfish run at Monty. Um, I've got a bit of crap going on with the old ticker again, Pat. My aim is to be back in Burmy with your boat, wrecking it, uh, by the end of the <laughs> month. That is my plan of attack, and I'm hoping to get there. And uh, the boys actually said to me, we're really looking forward to fishing Monty Island, just trying to get some kingfish. Uh, and once again, that early morning snapper run, you're going to pick up snapper right, from, right through right now amongst the kingfish. So but you're going to start seeing the kingfish captures become more frequent and probably dominate over those snapper, the snapper fishing. So early morning's been the key. Micro jigging the sun comes up, or once again, baits. You can use your pilchard or your squid. And a place that I've never been to, but I'm going to go try and get to when I'm up there um, in the next few weeks, Wallaga Lake. Matt, that's the place to go to get big flathead. Like there was a metre plus flathead caught there during the week not one not two but a few so like you got a good chance of actually going there and getting them you can use those swim baits you can also use uh you can also use um you've got your, your live baiting too so there's definitely plastics work really well too big plastics with heavy heads that really hit the bottom and piss those flatties off and get them to react and actually smash that lure that's the key to it botany bay had some great jewfish landed just shy of the meter mark during the week. Live bait was a key with the biggest fish uh, coming on live. Taylor, port hacking, uh, the fishing has been red hot for snapper once again to the, about that sort of 40 centimetre mark with squid and pilchards being the go. Heading to South Australia and once again off the uh, the Victor Harbour and it's quite close to the, the beauty of Victor Harbour is a launch there and you can you can access the, sna- uh, the, um, the Southern Bluefin Tuna School really quite quickly um you know you're seeing those off off the rocks within a couple of k's of the boat ramp which is terrific um 
and Rockham, some huge wide in court uh, in 20 metres plus of water. A uh, good number of gummies sort of being caught in the same same area, Redmond, and then and then the rogue crayfish. Yeah, so I had a few people that I know that was down uh, actually doing what I would like to be doing, and that's uh, camping in the dunes at Robe. I think it's, if you haven't done it and you want to get out of the nanny state of Victoria because we can't do anything in this state, like have a fire on the beach or anything like that, Pat. But if you want to <laughs> – Oh, boy. Ooh, it's, uh, it's true, though, the nanny state. If you want to do enjoy yourself, Robe down Beachport down that way, like it's a, it's amazing, like getting down there in the dunes with the four drives, camping on the beach – and then and the, and the boys that I know went down there, really good gummies and schoolies off the beach, and they jumped in the water during the day. Crayfish, abalone, and I'm tipping they tipped a few tinnies into it, but not as well, Pat, and had a really good time. Queensland fishing out of the Gold Coast has seen some red-hot snapper once again, really working that eastern seaboard with snapper to six kilos. Uh, there's plenty of Maui Maui as well, fishing out wide uh, with a few mackerel being caught. Once again, those Maui Maui, they're attracted to things that are floating in the ocean. You see... I can't um, have how you say seaweed. It's mahi-mahi. Mahi-mahi, mahi-mahi, <laughs> dolphin fish. <laughs> dolphin fish, Dorado. There's, there's some cracking black marlin as well, Redmond. I know this is the thing that gets you going. And they're not too far off the Gold Coast, which is pretty epic, and they're being caught on slimy mackerel. Yeah, it can't be live baiting. Uh, it, it's just, it just works really well. Uh, slow ticking them around or if you can get bait balls. But they're, they're good black marlin. They're 100-plus kilo. I mean, I know they get much bigger ones up with the Goldie, but they're fishing consistently. So now we've got that weather pattern there that's not cyclone or tsunami. It's uh, it's 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 obviously accessible. So fishing really good. And the Tweed River, because uh, of the little bit rough weather during the week, uh, cranker crabs being really good working that Tweed River wall. Um, but if you are a Beto like myself, the good old prawn, you can't you can't beat it. You're listening to Real Adventures. We've run out of uh, of time on that segment, Redmond, so we're going to have to get rolling. Uh, that was our fishing wrap of the country, which, of course, includes a New South Wales fishing wrap for New South Wales. Make sure your life jacket is in good working order. It can only save your life if you're wearing it. This is Real Adventures. Red's Review for Club Marine, Australia's leading provider of boat insurance. Welcome back to Real Adventures. Now, before you go, Redmond, uh, you've got an appointment this morning looking after the ticker. So it's a good message for anyone out there. If you're ever feeling a bit short of breath or you're, you're slightly concerned around your health, make sure you go and book yourself in and see the professionals. You've got to look after yourself, Redmond. So uh, we're going to push on with the show. We're going to head to Red's review a little early this week for Club Marine. Now, we all know life jackets save lives, and that's why from March 1, recreational fishos and rock fishos will be required to wear a life jacket at 10 high-risk location, so locations uh, alongside Victoria's coast. Now, if you want the information on where these uh, sites are, Vic Fisheries Authority is your website. But Cape Bridgewater, Artillery Rocks, Rock platform opposite uh, She Oak Falls, south of Lawn. So that's uh, sort of my territory, Redmond. Sorrento Back Beach, Rye, Cape Shank Lighthouse Rocks, Bush Rangers Bay Rocks, Pyramid Rocks in Phillip Island, San Remo Rocks at the southern end of uh, Potter's Hill, and Punchbowl Rocks near San Remo. So if you want info on those sites, um, it is now required 
to wear a life jacket at those high-risk sites. And this is important for our review, Redmond, because you've got a few options for us. Yeah, I do. And it's it's important to obviously wear these because if you it's so unexpected in the ocean, things, tides change so quickly, it can go from being low tide and the water being so low to being actually covering the rocks within, well, you know what it's like down living your way, you've got rocks everywhere within an hour. Particularly those freak waves, yep. Yeah, and you've got the waves to, to, to fight as well. So if you do want it, you need to have an approved 50 SPFD. Uh, so that's the minimum requirement. Uh, now, it's up to you on how much money you do want to spend. I think comfort is probably a must, I guess, fishing. I, I'd, you can rock up with a big yellow foamy thing, which is uh, PFT level 50, and you're only going to get for $19, but you're going to walk around. Oh, I don't even know how to explain looking like it. You're walking around backwards, basically, because it's just an annoying life jacket. Where if you start to spend somewhere around that $84 mark, um, I've got another one here, Burke life jacket, which is PFD level 50 at $64.95. And I've literally just on Whitworth. Uh, online online site at the moment and you could whitworth.com.au and you could literally go through there and pick whichever one you want you've also got the bulky pfd level ones which are 79 dollars. but like i said there's a month i'd be going 100 for comfort and spending that little bit extra uh not only for your safety but also so you can cast your rod out with ease and actually catch a few fish as well and enjoy your rock fishing and i think it's a smart move by big, uh, uh, big fisheries as well that was red's review for club marine Insure your boat or jet ski with Club Marine, Australia's leading provider of boat insurance. Check the PDS to see if this insurance is right for you. It's time for the Flying Gaff, an early Flying Gaff because Redman is heading off this morning. And it's, well, it, it makes sense. Now, you sent me this screenshot during the week, Redman, around uh, some recreational fishos collecting 851 abalone. Uh, along the York Peninsula, um, 806 of those were under size and they were reported um, by some locals down there who witnessed it. And it just reinforces for those in the fishing community, if you see something that looks off, um, report it to the fishing authorities. These guys um, were busted, which they should be, um, and... In this caper, you can secure a fine of up to a hundred grand or four years imprisonment. So, the whack is coming. Um, the whack is there, Redmond, as it should be, and it keeps everyone accountable. What it is is it's great to see uh, people seeing something, saying something to look after our fishery. Yeah, I know what I'll be taking is the four years in prison because I can't afford a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> I don't plan on going out there and doing the wrong thing either. So there's plenty of they've obviously found a market that they've been selling selling it to, and I'm tipping it's not the first time they've done it. Uh, yeah. I see it firsthand down in Queenscliff and the areas of people selling fish. And if you do happen to see it, call one three. Well, actually, I won't say that one because it's different numbers right around the whole country. So make sure you call your um, the the, the um, the local fisheries authorities. <laughs> you got me. Yeah, thanks for that one. I lost me in work. <laughs> <laughs> the fisheries and actually uh, and actually get them off the water because we don't need them there destroying what what we want for our future for our kids and and beyond. Patrick, look after yourself, Redman. After the break, plenty of real adventures to come. Paul Worsling joins me. He's going to join me through the social club. I'm going to talk about Go Fish Nagambi that is on from the 10th to the 13th of February. You're listening to Real Adventures. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. 
time for the social club. We take your questions from social media. This week, we're giving away a real brand prize pack. And answering the questions this week is none other than Paul Worsling, the host or co-host of iFish. Jet sort of runs the show these days. Uh, Paul, we've got a few questions from uh, from a few of our listeners. And we noticed on your, your socials during the week, actually, you've been sort of prompting um, if anyone has questions around iFish and where it sits, and I think a few of these are on the back of that. So I'll start with uh, with Daniel. Paul, you've been to a lot of places. Is there one place in particular that stands out above the rest with your iFish travels? Wow. Um, that's like having two children, Patrick, having one more than the other. How do you choose? Oh, I, I, don't say it. You cannot say a name, Patrick. You'll love them both the same. Um, I've only got one child. It's safe for me. Oh, look, I... <laughs> I would have to say uh, there's a little place in the middle of the Pacific Ocean called the Cook Islands and there's a little island off Rarotonga called Aitutaki and I've never been to such a special place in my entire life. It is it is like, if you think of paradise, it's paradise. I've met some beautiful people there. I met a guy called Itu Davey who has the best eyes in the world. They're better than a bald eagle. You can actually see a bonefish change its mind at 100 metres. He is amazing. And when you're around people who can feel the ocean, they can see things that you can't see. It makes you feel special. And I've become very good friends with E2 and his family. Uh, I've talked to them a lot during the, the, the COVID over the last few years and how they've been going. And I can't wait to get over there again and just share the experience of their life and fishing. And uh, I've got a rolling, rolling booking to Atataki every Christmas that I've had to put off for two years. I think I've been there five times. But if, if I can only go one place ever again in my life, that would be it. But don't go there, people, because I don't want to ruin it for you. <laughs> how, how did you get onto it? So so a place like that, is it is it word of mouth over over the years that you've got to go to this place? Because you always hear that from people, particularly when you're talking about fishing and, and they'll talk about these wonderful destinations that you've just got to go to. Is it is it that? Okay. And then you finally pack up the gear, all right, we're going to shoot a show there, and then you fall in love with the place? Uh, yeah, look, it's hundreds of different ways. The Atataki thing was bizarre. I, I once went to Spain for the weekend, Patrick, and it's a long story, but my mate Casey Stone was racing in his last ever MotoGP race. So Christy and I surprised him and flew to Spain for the weekend to watch his last race. And he was retiring. And he's like, I want to go on the fishing trip of a lifetime, Paul, because I've never got to go fishing because I'm working so hard. So he sat in his motorhome between races and between whatever he did, and we just Googled amazing place to go fishing and and he said oh i've, I've heard i actually said the cook Islands. i heard of them but we didn't know it and we always thought cook islands was part of new zealand which it is but it's not actually a part of new zealand it's a tropical environment we started googling we found this video called e2's or e2's bones and it was and it was a documentary made about e2 davy and how he was a pro fisherman and he, and he stopped pro fishing become a fly fisherman and the famous saying was they took the fox and they got him to mind the hen house and I just love that story. So now E2, they've banned catching bonefish in nets. You're not allowed to kill bonefish. And they've used that turnaround to save the bonefish of the Cook Islands. It's the both. So after going there and seeing it for myself, I had to go and film that story to tell the world. And if people go on my YouTube channel, they Google E2 um, Cook Islands. I tell the story of how him and his dad no longer net two tonne of bonefish. They catch five a day and let them go and people fly from around the world and pay thousands of dollars. So just talking about it literally makes me tingle. It's an amazing place. Great story. Graham, has there ever been a moment while shooting where you felt like the show isn't going to get done, uh, that you haven't caught fish, you've got no more time and you've got to fly out? 
uh, how many thousand times? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, I only need to go back to Eagle Hawk Neck. I was there last week and we went out with this gun and we're fishing at 500 metres of water. We go out at 4 a.m. I was not well, Patrick. I had eaten something three <laughs> days before. I was getting, st- you know, those days you really shouldn't even get out of bed. Well, I was on a boat on the continental shelf feeling like I should be in bed with stabbing pains in my guts. On the Let way alone out, get in front of the camera. Yeah. On the way out, we go over a wave and I grab the rocket launcher and tear my little finger open. I've got a vein hanging out of it. I've got fat hanging out of it. Blood. Hang- I just put a glove on and keep going. So I'm standing. It is midday and we have not caught a fish. We could not get a bite. And this guy's pulling his hair out. And I just kept saying, it'll happen, mate. It'll happen. I didn't think it was going to happen. <laughs> we, just kept, we just kept going. So we've been, I've been out there six hours wanting to kill myself with pain. We still haven't got a bite. And I'm thinking, this is not going to be good. And the weather wasn't looking good the next day. Anyway, just kept going. Bang, the tide turned. We caught a fish. Tide turned. We caught it. Then we caught this monster fish. Then the mako shark rocks up trying to eat the fish. We catch the mako shark. All of a sudden, within about an hour, We've gone from no episodes to we might go back and do another opener. We might have two episodes here. So <laughs> I, finally get, I finally get back in at 7.30 p.m. back to the boat ramp. It's a pretty big day. I race to the boat ramp because I've got some issues and I may have had some issues in the boat. I don't need to share with you. <laughs> I then realise that I have to go to the hospital because my finger needs stitches. So I have to drive an hour into Hobart. I sit in the emergency room with a dude who got hit in the head with a boom on a boat. Another kid's had his arm chewed off by a dog while he's delivering a pizza. They finally fixed the finger <laughs> at midnight. At midnight, I drive, I, back laugh. I drive back to Eagle Hawk Neck by myself in the car, longest hour of my life, get to bed at 1.30, and at 4 o'clock, the alarm goes off to go fishing offshore at Eagle Hawk Neck the next morning. <laughs> that, that, would you like if, a shorter story? If that's one of the crazier days, then let's go the opposite where you get to a place where you hear the same old, you, you've, never, you've never fished a place like this. It's as good as it gets. And then you get there. And it's as good as it gets, and you can't comprehend just how bloody good the fishing is. Oh, that's that's the dream. That's every night I go to sleep before I go fishing. You dream for that. It's actually what they say it is. And the minute <laughs> someone gives you the G word, if Patrick Dangerfield says to me, "Paul, come," I guarantee you, that you know, it's all over. It's gone. Don't, no don't say. That. <laughs> um, but there's been many places, and one that comes to mind, and it was many many years ago. I think it was series. Series three of iFish when I went to Arno Bay and they on the 1st of December for the snapper opening, they said, Paul, you get a snapper every drop. And the night before, I'm in the pub and I said, what's that? And he goes, this is my six-ounce snapper lead I was using today. Well, what happened to it? Did you drag it down the road? Nah, bloody snapper keep biting the sinker all day. I'm like, no. And we go out. <laughs> we put the line. It was me, Cameron White and Johnny Hastings. We put the lines in at 12 on the dot because you had to wait for the season to open. We caught 100 snapper in six hours. We let them all go. The best fish was a genuine 40-pounder on a lure. We were catching them on our sinkers. I put, a, I just want to put a ring spanner down with a hook on it and caught six 20-pound snapper on a ring spanner in six drops. It was just like <laughs> – and I was going on – people were saying, why are you using a spanner? I said, oh, they like to eat spanner crab in this part of the world and I'm a real tool. I was just having a joke. But it was the hottest thing. you And for a Victorian, we love our snapper. It was – and these fish, Pat, they were – a small one was eight kilos. An average one was 12 kilos. Massive. Yeah. A, big, a big one was 17 kilos. It was just something that I, – I, I caught 42 sailfish in a day once with Christy and some friends. This was that sort of level. Like you just can't fathom that good of fishing. And given the fact that you're out with um, with Cameron White and uh, big Johnny Hastings, the night would have been very quiet, I, I assume, because they – the, the cricketers that I know, I know Cameron White well, um, they, they detest alcohol. 
No, it's not. Don't like. I, I took. I took Merv Hughes back there a year later. That was an experience. But I'll say that. For <laughs> <laughs> Tom Peters, Paul, have you ever travelled to a place for the show and felt unsafe? E.g., uh, unstable government, corruption, what have you? But you've gone there because the fishing is worth the risk. Yep, there's three letters that come to mind. P N G. N G. Yeah, yeah. Like I've been to Papua New Guinea three times, I think, maybe four. And every time I've been there, there's been a moment. Sometimes yeah. a couple of moments. I, I, I got a story I'll tell you another day about Erie and Gyre and propellers falling off. It was scary, but I went to a place called Lake Murray trying to catch black bass, and we caught amazing black bass. And I can't remember the name of the town, but we had to go through another town. It's two days to get there, so we landed. Um, we landed at Port Moresby and we flew up to this little town, which will come back to me eventually. And we flew to Lake Murray. This town wasn't discovered until like 1950. So these people have lived, yeah, it's in, recent. lived in the jungle. Now, 60, 70 years later, they've got iPads and the internet. So they're struggling. I said, oh, they're struggling to come to terms with what's going on. <laughs> we, went to a, we went to a market. We went to the market in this town. And the way they looked at you, they didn't look at you. They looked through you. It was scary. Like we had a yeah. group of grown. And I just felt uneasy. We, we come to no harm, but the guy said to us, do not leave each other, do not leave the group, do not walk off, do not. And when you're, in, when you're, when you're constantly thinking about your safety, you know, yeah. you know it's not ideal. Um, so, so we were at that market for a very short time. I remember we did buy strawberry sticks and we gave them to the kids because we figured it, hopefully if we gave it to one of their kids, they wouldn't kill us. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this place starts with a hate, a hate, it's like hard time, but, it's it's like mind blowing, and when you're in your Papua New Guinea, sadly, it's very very different. And I actually, I've always I'm a bit of a bird lover, and I I wanted to see a bird of paradise. They're they're amazing yep. birds. We're going along the river, and this guy's holding a live bird of paradise. So we pull up, and I said, "Excuse me, excuse me, no camera, no we money." And they started yelling, wanting. To, I said, "No, put the camera down." I said to my Cameron, "Put it by your side, but don't stop filming." And this guy, <laughs> and he's holding this bird of paradise. And I said, "What happened?" And what happened? He tried to spear the bird of paradise to, to kill it, to put the feathers in his headdress, but it hadn't died. So then he put it in a cage and kept it. Now, he was like the king of the jungle because he had a live bird of paradise he took everywhere. It'd be like Patrick Dangerfield rocks up in his new Lambo. Everyone thinks he's the coolest dude in the world. Well, this guy actually had a bird of paradise for the coolest dude in the world. So <laughs> we, filmed, we filmed his bird of paradise and then we got out of there because they wanted money. But another guy, Bok, he was the richest man in the jungle. And I said, what do you do with all your money, mate? He said, if I work another 10 years from six in the morning till midnight, I'll be able to afford to be the richest man. What are you going to buy? He said, I'll have corrugated iron on the roof of my shack. I said, why is that so yeah. important? He said, because my kids won't get wet when it rains. And yeah, that was his life. Different, it? that, it's yeah. different, mate. But, but I think if everyone's kids could see it, it'd be a better place. What, what's the balance? Like when you're planning out your shows, clearly you, you want to you entertain people that are watching here in Australia uh, and, and around the world. You want it to be accessible, but you also want to you want to discover these new places. I, I know you you travelled with uh, Christy a few years back to um, to Antarctica. You know, what, what's the balance of going to these these extraordinary places that you know most wouldn't go to, but from an entertainment sense are incredible and is incredible to be seen. It's a balance, unfortunately, for the first. 10 years of my career, I was doing 50 episodes a year. So it was easy to go to a faraway place, do four episodes because you still had 46 normal ones. In saying that, for me, the weirdest thing is the most loved, talked about episode of iFish the last five years. By a mile, Garfish off the Mornington Pier. 
It's five, <laughs> it's five minutes from my front door. It costs me next to nothing. No airplanes, no excess baggage, no pain, no permits. And people just love it because it's real. But I do need to go to Florida and catch something cool or go to Mexico, catch a roosterfish, go to, because the average person may never get the chance to do that. So I get the chance to take them. You got to show it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, but it's a really important the following week to be catching garfish off the morning pier because you don't want to lose people. But Walt Disney once said one of the greatest things ever, Patrick, he said he'd prefer to entertain with the risk of teaching rather than trying to teach with the risk of entertaining. And that's what I've based my whole career on. Well, if you've enjoyed the chat with Paul this morning, please, um, we've mentioned that the people that have asked the questions, send in what you believe was your, your favourite Paul Worsling answer and we will send you out a real brand prize pack. Paul Worsling, thanks for joining me this, this morning on The Social Club. We've got you after the break because we're going to chat about Go Fish Nagambi that's happening from the 10th to the 13th of February. More information on that after the break. PW, see you in a second. Gearing up for Dometic. Dometic Patrol, an icebox with a sense of adventure. Everything you need for adventures, big or small. Mobile living made easy. Dometic. It's time for gearing up for Dometic. Enjoy the great outdoors with all the comforts of home with Dometic. And, well, it isn't far away now. Go fish Nagambi. It's on from the 10th to the 13th of February. Pre-sale is on now, and man knows a huge amount about it, is the host of iFish, one of Australia's most, or probably the most recognisable angler in the country, Paul Worsling. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Patrick, the most recognisable AFL footballer in all of the Geelong metro area. I was actually thinking about who that might be, uh, asking you, and I, I think it, it might be might be Bailey Smith, who I think... Uh, our wonderful producer of Real Adventures, Joel Brooks, might just be in love with. And I, I think along with the vast majority of the female population of Australia, I'm not sure if he's any good at fishing, but he's probably your man when it comes to AFL footy, P-Dub. Uh, go fish Nagambi. It's on soon. The prizes, there's 150 grand cash um, guaranteed to be won. There's an $80,000 cod. There's 10 grand to be won every day. There's junior prizes. It's as good as it gets. Why do you reckon I'm involved, mate? I'm Dutch. I like the cat. <laughs> uh, it, it, is, it is so good. This will be the third go fish in a gambi. And when you see an average fisher rock up to the stage on the last day and he is about to be presented with an $80,000 cash check for catching a Murray cod one single fish, it is so nice. And I get to stand backstage and for half an hour and have a chat first. And it's the most humbling experience because $80,000 cash is life-changing. And uh, that's why I love this comp so much. It will change an average fisho's life, be that man, woman, or child, whatever. So it is so cool. And then everyone goes for the big prize, which is great. But there's a thing called Cotter Clock, which I invented in early days, and Carper Clock and Yellow Belly is the golden hour. The night before each day, they say, right, they pick a nominated time, one o'clock. And in the hour after one o'clock, if you catch the Murray Cod, that is the size they nominate, could be 65 centimetres, 20, whatever it is. If you catch the legal size cod, they nominate, you win $10,000 cash just for catching a fish in that hour. Um, the carp's the same. There's different prizes for carp and yellow belly, obviously. Oh, I think the carp, you win an outboard motor for catching a carp every day. So <laughs> it's just, it is absolutely mind blowing. 
Uh, and you know, you don't just need to have a boat in order to participate in this. That's the great part of it, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, and I, I have to admit, I knew nothing of the Nagambi Lake system before Go Fish decided to have a competition there. I actually said to him initially, you're crazy. Never heard of it. It's not a great fishery from what I've heard. I went there on the very first day I fished and I caught three Murray cod in two hours, filmed an incredible episode. I think my best cod out of the lake system is about a metre, I'm going to say a metre five to metre ten and around 30 kilos. It is an incredible fishery. It has so many options. And both of the fish that were caught, I think both the winning fish, that have won $80,000, I believe they were caught within 10 metres of land. So they could have been caught land-based. And I actually know where there's a cod over a metre that lives under a snag five metres from one of the on-site vans at Nagambi <laughs> that someone could actually be cooking their barbie. You could be in the shower and have it a line tied to your toe and win 80 grand cash. Now, for, for anglers there that don't spend a huge amount of time through the system, what, what are they using to give themselves the best chance at, at catching. Let's start with cod because I think when it comes to carp, you can basically throw in anything and they'll start munching on it, the bloody things. But chasing Murray cod, you've, you've done plenty of it with eye fish uh, throughout the years, caught some incredible fish as you mentioned before. Are you using cheese? Are you going top water? What's the, what's the best chance to, uh, to catch that meter Murray cod? Well, I wouldn't mind using top water cheese, but I can't find it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, look, there's, there's a few options. Sorry, Pat, sometimes I crack myself up. There's a few options, but I think if you just want a chance to catch that monster cod, put a couple of big baits out, sit back and enjoy three days and wait for it to come to you. If you use baits like chicken, uh, boiled eggs, yabbies, uh, hot dogs, believe it or not, dim sims, all these things big cod love. And, and what I'd be doing, I'd be fishing a snag for probably 20 minutes, half an hour, and then I'd be moving to the next one. Half an hour, move to the next one. Because if they don't eat it the first half hour, they're not going to eat. And I would literally just hit up every single snag I could until I found a Monster Murray cod. Your other option, which I love, is just chucking lures at, at structure. And the best lure I reckon for a cod is a spinnerbait. It gets down, it hits them in the face, those blades spin they are very hard to beat. The trouble is there's so many anglers trying to catch a big cod that the fish get a little bit hook shy. So I reckon you really got to get that bait or lure in their face for your best chance. As you said off the top of the show, the, the great thing about Go Fish Nagami, it isn't just about Murray cod. There's, there's other prizes for different species of fish. One of those is carp. They're a fair bit easier to catch. Your experience with catching carp, uh, and the best way to go about it because they're not always a fish that we, we love here in Australia. In fact, we detest them, but there's plenty of good prizes up for grabs if you do catch yourself a carp with Go Fish Nagambi. You could literally go there for the weekend, just target carp and walk away with 10 grand cash and heaps of other prizes. I think there's about 200 random prizes a day. In fact, they even give prizes called the donut prize if you don't catch a fish pat so if you and i went we'd still oh, perfect we'd still win something we'd kill it um so, so but carp it's 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 amazing it's like when i do an eye fish episode if i do an episode i want to catch undersized flat in port Phillip bay i can guarantee i'll struggle to catch them i've got a camera there and it's like it's like carp at nagami they're easy to catch if you're not trying to catch them for a competition so the one bit of advice i would give you is lay a good ground bait early so take tins of corn 
and just keep throwing corn in the same area and lay a ground bait area where the carp are going to come and feed and then start casting a worm or a piece of corn right into that exact zone. As the carp move through picking up the ground bait, the bill, they'll come through and pick up your little bit of corn, your little bit of worm. And if you're there for, say, three days, you can ground bait an area really well. Just keep throwing corn, same area, keep fishing it, literally casting that exact spot and you'll get really good numbers of carp. Good numbers of carp increase your good chance of catching, well, catching a few dollars. When it comes to where to stay in the Gamby, right next to the tournament hub, um, there's amenities to camp and set up your caravan. You've got the Jayco pool. Um, so it's not like you, you'll go there and struggle for accommodation or, or, or places to set up. So don't be afraid. When we mentioned off the top of the show that it's capped at 1,000, there's plenty of places um, that can facilitate your, your few days in the Gamby whilst you're competing in the competition. Yeah, and the other good thing too, people tend to be a little bit narrow-minded at times. I think the Gamby got to stay in the Gamby, but I fished I fished 20 minutes out in the Gamby last year with Jet, and we got fish top water. We got some nice hits on bait we missed. And if you have actually look, I think Victorian Fisheries gives you the information. I could Google today. There's actually lots of free camping areas along some of the rivers there. And there's free campsites. So get a free campsite, take a tent, or look at towns 20 minutes away that might have a hotel where you can stay for 50, 60 bucks a night with your mates or, or go on Airbnb. There's plenty of good access to camping and accommodation outside Nagambi itself. A beautiful town, so many things to do other than fishing. I might even sneak out to Mitchelton Winery uh, the night before with Christy. It just is a beautiful place with a great vibe. And I know the people I know that are going. They look forward to it every year, almost like Christmas. It's a fun time. Families get together. They enjoy it. And it's that real thing you look forward to during the year. Go Fish Nagambi is from the 10th to the 13th of February. It's coming up soon. You can pre-order uh, your spot in the competition. So go to gofishtournament.com.au uh, go for more information. Now, Paul, while we've got you here, now you jogged my memory. Uh, when you were talking about filming for iFish and, and Murray Cod fishing. And, and we've got you in a segment um, to talk around. Uh, we've got a few questions from the audience. But it reminded me of the time that your cameraman dropped his camera into, I think you were Murray Cod fishing. That, that, that would have been one of the more expensive sort of episodes of iFish. We talk about, um, you know, Top Gear back in the day cost, um, you know, a huge amount of money per episode to produce, but that must have been iFish is one of the more expensive sort of shows you put together. Oh, I'd forgotten about that, Pat. One day I've got to write a book. I'll never... <laughs> we, were, we were in the Ovens River. We were about 100 <laughs> metres from Barry Sullivan's house. I didn't know Barry at the time. And we'd been filming, we'd been filming all morning and had caught not a lot. And we're crossing the river to go back to the other side, as you do. And I just hear an almighty splash and a no. And my cameraman had <laughs> dropped, had fallen over and dropped his entire camera in the water. A camera that oh, new with lenses, probably about $110,000. And we just look and it's like 12 o'clock. We're out, we're finished and we haven't got any fish. We've got no camera. The disc is inside the camera with all of our stuff we'd pre-filmed. We ripped that out, <laughs> dried the disc out. Wait, what are we going to do? So we call a camera hire mob in Melbourne. We hire a camera and they put it in a taxi and the taxi starts heading four hours towards the ovens. We get my camera in a car and he starts driving four hours towards Melbourne. They meet on the side of the road, get the camera, he drives back to Wang. So this is four hours since we dropped the camera. It's now about, it's about 4.30, 5 o'clock in the afternoon and we're sitting around a campfire 
mate, and we're not having a lot to do, so we have a few frothies. <laughs> because what do you do? It was hot. So, and in, in the meantime, I collected shrimps from under the logs and the grass, and we started casting shrimp on hooks into the river. So we, we finally got the camera back. We sit around the fire. We have a beautiful roast lamb dinner from memory in the crock pot. By then, we had a few more frothies, and all of a sudden, I hear, I hear bells ringing. And it was ringing, and I, I, we raced down the river, and one of the rods is buckled over. And my guy, the guys with Craig, starts fighting this fish, and we land a Murray cod. We didn't measure it, but I reckon about 1.1 meters of Murray cod on the shrimp. <laughs> I was a little bit under the weather, so I can't remember exactly what I said, but we released this fish, and it made the most incredible episode of television. And we went from zero to hero in a very short period of time. <laughs> Now, the iFish Summer Series is on at the moment. What can we expect from iFish for season 2022 or year 2022? I think there's been a few more seasons of iFish than that. Uh, what, what's in store for us, Peter? Look, I'm pretty proud because every year you like to lift the bar and every year I think it's not possible. I just left the edit suite about half an hour ago and uh, we've been doing some cool stuff. I was down at um, Eagle Hawk Neck last week. And we caught blue eye travel at a 16 kilos in 500 metres of water. We caught blue grenadier, which I had last night, so tasty. And then 130 kilo Mako swam to the boat. We hooked him. He did three jumps. I reckon he cleared the water by 15 feet. We got everyone in slow-mo that would just blow people away. <laughs> We've got the Mako swimming around the boat, kissing a seal. There was a seal there, and he's soon enough to see a looking at him. Uh, that's just one little trip. Then there's some other stuff we've done interstate. We snuck up to New South Wales recently, catching the biggest sand whiting I've ever seen in crystal clear water. Then cast a plastic bang at a massive flatty. Next cast, massive flounder on a soft plastic. Um, we've, we've just done things that excite me, and I always know if I'm excited, when people watch it, they're going to be excited. So I think we're heading to New South Wales next week, maybe the Port Stephens area, chasing some beautiful black mile and snap of that stuff. There's only a few apps still to film, but um, some pretty cool stuff indeed and some local stuff too for everyone around Phillip Island. So it's uh, it's exciting times and I'm still loving it, which is uh, which is good, Paddy, because I'm starting to age. I'm getting old. <laughs> uh, it's okay. You've got um, – I, I think that – there's a replacement that's lined up, so I'd watch your back, but he might be living under your roof. So uh, I think Jet isn't too far away from taking over the reins of iFish. Uh, Paul, thank you for your time this morning on Real Adventures and talking about Go Fish Nagambi. It is, of course, on from the 10th to the 13th of February. And, of course, the iFish Summer Series is on now, as well as the new series for year 2022. Paul Worsling from iFish and that was gearing up for Dometic Mobile Living Made Easy. That was Paul Worsling. This has been Real Adventures. We hope you enjoyed the show this morning. Next week, Red will be back in the hot seat. We'll see you then. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.